Well, good morning and welcome to our worship on Sunday the 29th of January. I'm Reverend Jackie Belfield. Today we're going to think about the Beatitudes. And if we had to have a theme for our service today, it's the Beatitude Attitude. See what we did there? Let's, um, let's join together in our call to worship. Happy are we when our treasures cannot be quantified. Happy are we when our knowledge is tempered by mystery. Happy are we when our pain is held in the balm of love. Happy are we when our delight comes from beyond ourselves. We sing our first hymn, Come Let Us Sing, of a wonderful love, tender and true.
friends that was come let us sing of a wonderful love. Let us pray. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will receive it in full. Wonderful is the God of Christ, who gathers the poor of the earth. Glorious is our God, who wipes away the tears of our sorrow. Wonderful is the God of Christ, who gives inheritance to the meek. Glorious is our God, who satisfies the hunger of the just. Wonderful is the God of Christ, who gives mercy to the merciful. Glorious is our God, who gives vision to the pure in heart. Wonderful is the God of Christ, who adopts the peacemakers. Glorious is our God, who lifts high the persecuted. Wonderful is the God of Christ, who finds the lost. Glorious is our God, who awakens the dead. Lord and Creator, let us embrace the costly blessings which you desire for us. Blessings that confound the wisdom and strength of this world. Teach us to be your agents of your grace in our world. Transform us into your image through the crucible of the cross, writing your mandates upon our hearts, made pure by your perfect love. Embolden us to be your ambassadors, living as representatives of your holy kingdom, stirring in us your joy for others, especially for those who would seek to destroy us because of you. Make us decrease so that you may increase as a watching world sees you, not us. Daily we declare that your priorities are ours, even before our own needs and desires. Every moment we live, we live for your glory, the glory of a loving Father and a just King. Free us of any distraction, craving or anxiety that would keep us from fully following you. For we acknowledge that everything we could possibly need is yours to give us. Remind us of our sinful brokenness and your gift of grace as we encounter brokenness in others. God, you are the answer to our every question. You're the treasure that we desperately seek. And it's you who invite us into your salvation as prodigals who return. Keep us upon your path of righteousness and justice, bearing the good fruit of your spirit. For it is on you, Lord Jesus, that all hope is built. For all creation, now and forevermore. Amen.
we're going to pause for a moment and watch a video. Walking with Micah is a, a campaign, is a programme of engaging with social justice by the Methodist Church. Let's see a short video as Rachel Lampard introduces to us the concept of walking with Micah. What does it mean for the Methodist Church to be a justice-seeking church? We live at a time of huge change. Around us, we've seen how COVID has revealed and intensified inequalities. We see the impact of poverty and inequality, of climate change and ecological destruction, of conflict and of fear. And yet we are a people of hope. Around the globe and in local communities, Methodists are working for justice. We're helping out, running community fridges, welcoming refugees, caring for older people, raising money. And we're working for change for everybody, campaigning to tackle household debt, organising in local communities, protesting to bring about anti-racist policies and climate change commitments. Our calling as Methodists means that we are invited to join in with God's yearning for justice in the world, a longing that all God's creation, people and planet can flourish. So how can we as Methodists speak and act more effectively for justice? How can we renew our passion to be a justice-seeking church? In the Bible, the prophet Micah reminded people that the worship God wants, the response to the amazing love that we feel, is for us to act justly, to love as God loves, and to walk humbly with God. The Methodist Church has set up a new two-year project to help deepen our sense of calling and action. Walking with Micah, Methodist Principles for Social Justice, is a project that will involve listening to those who experience injustice, to our Methodist heritage, and to the insights and challenges of other traditions. It will involve reflecting on what the church has said and done in the past, on what matters to Methodists right now and why, and the principles on which we base our approach to justice. And it will involve exploring the practical resources that we all need to help us make that commitment in the Methodist way of life to challenge injustice. Over the next few months, I'd love to begin a big conversation about justice, online and hopefully increasingly in person. I'd love to hear from you and from conversations in your classes, churches, circuits, districts, local preachers meetings. I want to hear about your experiences, about what matters to you, and about what it means for us to be a justice-seeking church today. If you're interested in this big conversation, please sign up on the Walking With Micah page on the Methodist Church website. Thank you. As we have heard of Micah and of walking with Micah, let's listen from Micah. This is Micah chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He's lodging a charge 
against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. That is what the Lord requires of us. In a moment, we're going to contemplate what Micah is saying to us, but also look at those Beatitudes from Matthew's Gospel. Let's sing them. King of Kings.
stones and move for good For the lamb had conquered death And the dead rose from their tombs And the angels stood in awe For the souls of all who'd come To the Father all restored And the church of Christ was born Then the Spirit lit a flame Now this gospel So friends, we're, we're going to explore a little bit about Matthew chapter 5. We're in chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel. And we're beginning a sermon which Jesus delivered. And, and if you um, have a Bible that's got Jesus' words that are often uh, printed in red, then you'll see that the whole pretty much of chapters 5, 6 and 7 in Matthew's Gospel are in red. It's a sermon delivered, affectionately called the Sermon on the Mount. And I'd encourage you to read it this week. It won't take long. It takes you um, about 10 minutes to read through the chapters. And um, what you'll see is some um, quite fundamental teaching. There are parts of, of Matthew's gospel there in those five to seven that we quote about salt and light. And it's the longest recorded sermon of Jesus, 107 verses, quite familiar verses. And only Matthew, Matthew's gospel really records this. Luke gives an abridged version. But otherwise, Matthew is the only one who captures the full essence of the sermon. This is Jesus' sermon. Again, takes about 10 minutes. Um, well, shorter, actually, than this sermon probably will be today. I guess minutes, so maybe not really a sermon on the Mount, but a devotional on the Mount. But anyway, Matthew's Gospel. The first 12 verses read like this. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. And he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's Matthew chapter 5, and that's verses 1 through to verse 12. When we hear any biblical account, we're called not just to be hearers of the word, but doers of the world. So where did Jesus deliver this sermon? Which starts with the Beatitudes. Uh, there's a place on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, uh, a landscape which is the place where it's believed that Jesus stood. It's a mount uh, and the sea is just ahead. It, it's the only place, it almost seems like a natural theatre, where um, Jesus stands and the crowds can gather all around them. Uh, an elevation where Jesus could be and where a crowd could gather. It's a natural place, in essence, to teach. Uh, this setting has been consecrated uh, by the Church of the Beatitudes, by the Roman Catholic Church. The first part of these Beatitudes, which means blessing, the Greek, the Greek uh, makarius, means happy, fortunate, blessed. And so we have the context here of Jesus. And this, this chapel, which is centred on this mount, has, um, has eight sides. Um, it's an octagon shape. It was built in 1936. Eight decided to commemorate um, this introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, these Beatitudes. Eight rather than nine, because if you read, you could say there's nine Beatitudes, um, but it's considered the last one, the last Beatitude is linked to the two together. Whether it's eight or nine, here we have this chapel uh, that sits the Church of the Beatitudes on this site where it's believed that Jesus spoke to his disciples and the crowd. Um, when Jesus does this, he sits in the in the typical posture of a rabbi. He sits down uh, and the teaching was at this point, it tells us Matthew 5, was intended for his disciples. It wasn't intended for the crowd. Uh, and the purpose of this sermon, the whole sermon of Matthews 5, 6, 7, um, was to explain and challenge us, the disciples, how to live as a disciple. Because uh, Jesus was motivated uh, not by the heart, but by the law. And, and this Beatitudes, Jesus isn't condemning people for not living the promise. He, he's blessing those who already have a vision of what it means to be fully alive in Christ and encouraging those who haven't yet caught that vision to lean in to the possibilities that that might offer to them. As we pause for a moment, we recognise the context of which Jesus is living in. Uh, in Jesus' day, the teachers of the law prided themselves on following the letter of the law, which made them quite self-righteous. I have done this. I am not this. Jesus comes along and he turns the whole thing round, turns it on his head. He talks about a heart obedience rather than a legal motivation. And so we hear about these disciples, his close, closest disciples who would gather around him. And of course, we, we know about the 12 disciples, but there were many. There were many disciples, 12 were his closest, but there were many more disciples and they would all peel away one by one as Jesus approached the crucifixion. And then after Jesus' resurrection, more disciples came back on board. And so a reminder that this, this sermon was not intended for the general public. It was intended directly just for Jesus' disciples. And why is that important? Because when we follow through the sermon, it was intended for the people who wanted 
to be the devoted followers of Jesus. And that's why we we offer ourselves into that and it offers ourselves to us as disciples of Jesus. There's a, there's a story, I am sure you have heard it, about Lady Astor, who commented to Winston Churchill, if you were my husband, I'd put poison in your coffee. Uh, and Churchill, who was said to have a kind of a strange but good sense of humour, said, if you were my wife, I would drink it. Some of us have a clash with people in life. Uh, and there are some people who don't know how to live at all peaceably with anybody else. In, in fact, I've, I guess I've known people over, uh, over my years um, who, are, who are never happy unless they're fighting with someone or arguing or moaning about something. So how do we find real peace? How do we become the peacemakers that we find in these B, B attitudes? A little girl was working um, diligently on her homework uh, and her dad became quite curious and said to her, what are you doing? Uh, and she looked at dad and said, I'm writing a report about how to bring peace to the, in, into the entire world. Uh, and dad said, isn't that a pretty tall order for a little girl? She said, daddy, don't worry about it. There are three of us working on this. The Beatitudes, they develop in intensity. Jesus begins with those who are poor in spirit, uh, those impoverished in spirit who need Jesus, uh, the poor being those who are humble. Uh, and he ends with those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. But what he starts off with, and when he comes to an end, both have the same ending. We'll come to that in a minute. But he starts with something which is about being poor in spirit and it builds up to those who are persecuted for their faith. And these Beatitudes need to be seen as an entire package. We can't choose them, it's not a multiple choice question. We, we give ourselves to it and we look at these Beatitudes. You will see, as I've just said, if you look at verse three, the very first Beatitude, and then skip to the last Beatitude, they end with the same promise. Happy or blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Happy, straight, blessed are those who are persecuted. Because of why? Because here's the promise. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And these two verses are what we call bookends. The beginning and the end. And they present the very same promise. Now when we look at the big picture here, we see two things that are huge. We see the eight keys to being blessed or happy. Not only do we see a picture of what Jesus says happiness is, we see a picture of Jesus himself. I am meek and humble in heart is what he's saying. Jesus knew grief, mourn, the death of a friend of Lazarus. Jesus was always hungry for more of God. While the disciples slept, Jesus prayed all night in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, drops of blood fell from him. And when people objected because Jesus invited sinners to eat with him, and the disciples, he said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. He said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus is living out these beatitudes. He's turning the system upside down. Maybe he's turning it the right way around um, that we might know something of the kingdom of God. And so for a moment, let's just unpack each of these beatitudes. It won't take long. Uh, when Jesus talks about the poor in spirit, it's about those, uh, it's not about financial or, or possessions, it's about our, our humble heart, uh, our need for God, our need to be cleansed by God, those whose spirit is waning, those whose spirit is weak. 
So therefore the morning is directly linked to it. Uh, the morning, not just the morning of sadness, of loss or death, but the morning for our sin, the regretting of the past with a deep desire, which means we turn to God in despair and uh, to repent and that God redeems us. Mourning uh, for those things in our life which have separated us from God. He speaks of, of those who are meek. It's not a weakness to be meek. We're not called to be a religious doormat. Was meek, yet he drove out the changes from the temple. Moses was meek, yet he judged sinners and even faced Aaron with his sin. Meekness means not asserting your own rights, but living for the glory of God. Uh, Ephesians tells us and Titus tells us that Christians are sh to show meekness, not to be so self-arrogant and self-righteous and strong-willed, uh, but to respond and to offer ourselves to God. What about those who hunger and thirst? That's a continual desire for justice. We've seen that with walking with Micah, Micah 6. And the whole of our Methodist ethos for social justice, a, a, a continual desire for justice and for moral perfection leads to our transformation and our growth in holiness. To be merciful, to have that disposition towards another of compassion and forgiveness. And that might strike a chord to us. Who do we need to forgive? Who do we need to show compassion to? What you do for the least of these, Jesus tells us in Matthew's Gospel, you do for me. To be pure in heart, free from all selfish intentions. To be peacemakers, not only living peaceful lives, but bringing peace to others. And then the last, verses 10 and 11 from Matthew 5. For you who are persecuted, Jesus said many times that those who follow him will be persecuted. Are we prepared for this? It's hard. It is hard when people say things about us which are untruthful, which come from them and their lives and their background rather than us and who we are. It is hard. I've said that the Beatitudes are the attitude that we ought to be in. Each one of them is a key to that pursuit of happiness, that pursuit of being blessed. Can you imagine what it would be like to live in a world where everyone was at peace with one another? No conflict, no hostility, just peace. I do some work on Eurovision currently working with some ecumenical colleagues. And we often think and, and pause in our prayer time and say, imagine a world when Ukraine can host Eurovision. That means a very different world, a different place for people. What would it be like? I guess it's what heaven will be like. What about right now? What about God's kingdom here? What about walking like Micah? Because Jesus is describing something that can only happen in our lives right now if we, if we go to him, not just the future, but the kingdom of God right now. And so today, as we conclude this opening of Jesus' sermon, we think of three types of people. I wonder if you can recognise one or two of them and figure out where you fit in. First, there are peace breakers. Then there are peace fakers. 
then there are peacemakers. Breakers, fakers, makers. Which one are you? Blessed. May you be blessed today. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Let us pray. God of the prophets, God of Christ, we are reminded today that your blessings do not necessarily follow the logic of the world. The world believes that the rich are blessed. But Jesus, you remind us that it's the poor who are blessed, the poor in spirit and the material poor as well. The world believes that the rich are blessed, but Jesus, you tell us it's the poor in spirit who are blessed. The poor in spirit, the material. We pray that you bring healing and wholeness to those who are sick and comfort those who have lost loved ones. While people covet power, Jesus blesses the meek. Instruct us, O God, in the way of humility. Help us to stand in solidarity with the oppressed and marginalised. Help us to walk with Micah. Show us your presence in the faces of those the world forgets. Give us a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Fill our hearts with love, overflowing with mercy. Make our hearts pure and give us a vision of your glory. In a society, God, divided by race, gender, class, ideology, sexual orientation and so many other labels we alone have created, remind us that we are created in your image. Each of us a beautiful reflection of you. Each of us your beloved child. Help us then to end our conflicts and wars. Help us to be peacemakers and agents of reconciliation. Gracious God, you've so richly blessed us with life with love and with joy, with hope in the midst of despair. Help us to be salt of the earth. Help us to be light of the world, sharing with others that which we have received, boldly proclaiming the good news of your love, finding the seeds of your kingdom within us and letting your way grow in our lives and throughout the world. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Our final hymn, Here is Love Vast as the Ocean.
blessing for us and for those we love. Blessed in the midst of God's love. Blessed in the midst of our world. Blessed in what we feel, we see and do. Blessed even in the times we find it hard to see the blessing. Even then, we can know ourselves as the children of God. Especially then, we can know, see Feel God's presence in our lives. Blessed 
God's love in our lives, given by the one who came to save. Blessed are you. In the name of Christ. Amen.